Amen. That was wonderful. Good morning. It's so good to see all of you this morning. Thank you for being with us. Wonderful to see our members. And it's very, very nice to see our visitors that we have with us. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, we want to get to know you, and we want you to know you're always welcome here. And we hope that we make you feel welcome and blessed, and that you, you are blessed by your time worshiping with us. We're also very thankful to have those of you who are joining us online. We appreciate your uh, participation and worship with us. And whether you are uh, nearby our location or not, we want you to know we're here for you. If there's any way we can ever serve you, please let us know. Joyce and I have a friend back in Abilene named Justin Whiteley. We worked together in uh, youth ministry for a long time, and he still works as a volunteer in youth ministry. For a number of years, he worked for the city of Abilene at the G.V. Daniels Recreation Center that you see here in the picture. G.V. Daniels has been around for a long, long time. Uh, that's in an older, older neighborhood uh, in Abilene. Uh, Matt and Ryan would know G.V. Daniels over there near North 10th and Treadaway. Justin, like I said, is a brother in Christ, and he has always tried to go above and beyond what just the job requires. Uh, he, he's not satisfied with just doing what the job description says and getting by. So in his work with the teenagers who came to the center, especially during the summer, but at all times, he did all kinds of programming, but he formed along with these uh, teenagers the Carver Youth Council. That's called the Carver Neighborhood, and they formed together the Carver Youth Council. And the Carver Youth Council was all about helping develop these young people uh, to understand leadership, life skills. Some of them came from uh, some tough home lives, not all of them. Uh, <clears throat> and it was also about doing something good in the community. Well, this neighborhood, uh, really a historic neighborhood in Abilene, um, in, around G.V. Daniels Rec Center, uh, over time, some of the homes had become run down. Uh, there was lots of older folks still lived there or lived there. Some, some younger families lived there. But what had moved in in some places were some drug dealers. There were, there were uh, some drug homes in this neighborhood. They were known. And uh, that was a threat to the good folks who lived there. And that was a threat to the G.V. Daniels Rec Center and the kids who played there and and played, just wanted to play basketball at night. So this was a concern of theirs, and it was a mission that the Carver Youth Council took up. And they got yard signs and went house to house and talked and promoted their initiative. Their goal was to get the drug dealers and all the drug houses and those folks out of the neighborhood. Teenagers. That's what they wanted to do. That's what their mission and the way, was. And the way Justin did this was he wanted it to be youth-led. So he's the adult. He's the city employee. He's le you know, leading things, facilitating things. But he did a great job making this their thing and going with a lot of things that they had in mind. So this was very much their mission. Uh, some of these kids lived in that neighborhood and nearby. Uh, several of them went to church with us and were in the youth group with us. And so they made it clear in that neighborhood that drug dealers 
And, and those buying and selling were not welcome in that neighborhood. And it caught the attention of city leaders. And uh, over time, by these young people working that mission and going house to house and being open and vocal in that neighborhood and getting the kind of attention that they needed drawn to that effort, guess what? They drove those drug houses out of there. They were gone. They cleaned up that neighborhood. And these were teenagers who had it in their heart to do this. It was an amazing story. And Justin continues to work with youth and do, uh, do so many things in different ways. They worked tirelessly uh, at all kinds of things to do this so that they could have the safety to do midnight basketball and all kinds of youth programming that they did and that the older folks could have safety in their neighborhood. Justin didn't just want to do his job. He wanted to make a lasting difference in the lives of people. And that's the way he's always done things. So let me ask you a question. Does culture influence your faith or does your faith influence your culture? Which way is it working for you? Is culture influencing your faith or is your faith influencing your culture? And your culture by that, I mean, you may not can affect the culture of the whole city or the whole state, the whole country, the whole world. But you've, you've got kind of this mini culture that you live in with your peers, your family, the things that you do. You know, that's your culture that someone has said, a, a, a youth ministry guy has said, culture is the soup you swim in. You're, you're in it. You're in the big bowl of soup and there's all kinds of things in there and you've got to learn how to, how to live in that soup. And so how is culture affecting your faith or is your faith affecting your culture? That's one of the things we want to look at today. Some have said that Christians should be against culture. There's been different positions about this, faith and culture, over uh, uh, the years. So we should be against culture. We should withdraw from it. We should reject it. We should have nothing to do with it. We should go live in, in, in the cave and, 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 and totally withdraw from this world. And while that sounds good in many ways, doesn't it? Sometimes that's really appealing. The problem is you can't do that and do the Lord's work to spread the good news, to, to expand the kingdom, to go and make disciples. You can't do that if you withdraw from culture. Another approach has been to say that our faith and our culture can coexist without tension. Does that make sense? And so, in other words, Jesus then becomes just this good guy, just a wise teacher, a moral leader for us to listen to and perhaps follow, but among other options, equal among other options. And, and let's just kind of all figure out how to, how to get along. And, and no one is, is really more right than the other. And, and while that may have some things that sound appealing to it, the idea of, of not having uh, you know, any issues with differences, that might have some appeal. But it's not a biblical view of the Savior. And therefore, you can't be a Christian on mission for Christ, living faithfully as a disciple of Christ, 
if everything's the same in your book, in your perspective, and we can just all coexist equally instead of saying, no, what I believe is right and true, and I'm obligated to tell others about that, to call people out of the world. So that position doesn't allow you to proclaim and worship and follow the Christ of the Bible. Another view is that it realizes Christians live in a culture, but it says we are supposed to be transformers of that culture in which we live. In other words, we're supposed to share Christ with others so they can be transformed, and transformed people, therefore, make this world better. Because Christians are supposed to make their neighborhoods and their workplaces and and the organizations they're involved in better. Christians in politics even, as, as, as almost impossible as it sounds really nowadays, are supposed to make things better in whatever sector that, that they're in. They should make things better. And so it recognizes the good elements of culture, but it says through Christ we must rise above that culture because Christ is above culture and Christ reaches all cultures around the world and we must rise above the the bad things of culture, namely sin. That we should not be a part of those things, but there are good things in culture, but we should be about transforming culture. As a Christian, our friend Justin was doing just that. As I said, several of the kids who were involved with the Carver Youth Council and came to the activities at GV Daniels uh, also were a part of our youth group. Or they were inviting their friends who hung out with them to come with them to devotionals and things like that. So Justin was key in helping create this culture that was doing that, that not only was he doing good things in the community, not only was he having a positive effect in the lives of these young people, he was also a a Christian, a youth worker, and he was most importantly about helping them know Christ. And so it was a wonderful way that, that, that Justin did that. He wanted to make a difference in their lives and in the lives of people in the community. But most importantly, he wanted to make an eternal difference in their lives. And he continues to do that today. So this next section that we're looking at uh, about being a disciple of Christ, as we look at the components, the parts of a disciple, the next one is being culturally engaged culturally engaged. So what does that mean? Sometimes we have different thoughts about what words mean, but what does it mean when we're talking about it in this context? It means stepping outside of yourself, of your world, and into the world of someone else. Getting out of your comfort zone and getting into the life the culture, the differences of someone else. And and that, that might mean all kinds of different things. That might mean a difference in skin color or accent or place in the world that they're from or customs that they're used to or traditions or even beliefs. And not that you accept differences in beliefs doctrinally, but what we're talking about is you're willing to step into somebody else's world, somebody's world who's been wrong, somebody who, who lives in a different way. Maybe they're, they're disabled and their life is very, very different than yours. Uh, maybe they're older, they're of another generation. Maybe they're younger and you just don't understand those people. 
those young people, but you're willing to step into their world and care about them like Justin did, and most importantly, care about their souls. See, uh, it can be uncomfortable at times because we notice those differences and we don't always know what to do with those differences, how to interact with those differences. And sometimes all we can think of is to talk about the differences instead of just treating them like a human being to care about them. Christians are supposed to be motivated by compassion. That's what we introduced last week, this outer ring of compassions that are driven by our humbled heart, our heart humbly submitted to God, our mind being biblically formed by His Word, and then we make godly choices, and then those drive our compassions, the things that we go and do for the sake of others. And so we, we commit ourselves to being culturally engaged for the sake of others because of their needs, whether that be physical or spiritual. Because our goal ultimately is to make and grow disciples. Because we're disciples, we were transformed by the gospel message. And that's ultimately what we want to see happen in the lives of other people. And sometimes that might mean meeting a physical need first. That might mean connecting with them and building a relationship with them first before we get the opportunity to share the gospel with them. But some churches just do all kinds of benevolence and good works. And while that's good and you should do those things, you can't stop there. Because if you stop there, then you're just another food bank. You're just another uh, benevolence closet, clothing closet. You're just another nonprofit doing good works. And while I applaud all of those efforts, the church does not exist only to do that. We don't stop there. We stop when we get to the gospel message and help people obey the gospel of Christ to see their lives transformed. So let's look at some ways we see Jesus engaging culture. Look at Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 through 38. And Matthew writes, And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them. See the word compassion? Because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into... This harvest. So in verse 35, we see that Jesus engaged the culture of people from all over. And whatever their differences might have been, he went and engaged them in the place where they lived, in the condition they were in, and he proclaimed the good news, and he helped them physically. He was able to heal. We can't do that, but we can do a lot to meet physical needs and to care for others, to listen to people, to get to know others, to build relationships with them. And in verse 35, we also see that when he taught the gospel, he healed. And so we're supposed to do that same thing. See, we can't just go and do good works. We have to go also and carry the good news of Jesus with us, just like Jesus did because we're followers of his, we're disciples of his, we're learning from him how to do this thing. 
And so Jesus didn't just bless them physically, he blessed them spiritually. And that needs to be on our mind as well. We have VBS coming up. We'll do, uh, and that's very much biblically based. Uh, uh, We're going to have an opportunity to interact with parents. So what kind of conversations are we going to have with parents? Uh, When What about when we have Blast Over Bullard or when we have visitors on some other event? Well, our radar needs to go off and say, that's a great opportunity. Uh, Back to school bash, I mean, when that comes up, that's a great opportunity to connect with people, to get to know somebody, to find out how we might can serve them and ultimately to teach them about Jesus. Now, we see in verse 36 that Jesus had compassion on them because he knew they were harassed and helpless. Well, not every disciple necessarily lived that kind of life. You may not live the kind of life where you're harassed and helpless. But Jesus looked on them and had what? Compassion. Because they were harassed and helpless. And so we've got to have that same kind of compassion for others. Those who are downtrodden, those who are beat down, those who are done wrong, those who have been marginalized, to have compassion on their needs, and and, and to bless them spiritually. He had sincere love for them. So what did he say to his disciples? We see in verses 37 through 38, he was teaching them to be like him in the same way he's saying that to us. He said he wants them to open their eyes and realize the people right there in front of them. What does that mean for us? There's people in front of us, around us, All the time. There's opportunities all the time. And and you can't do everything. You can't do everything, but there's there's opportunities that Jesus gives you to have compassion for others, to connect with others, to engage others. But most importantly, we see Jesus told his disciples, pray to God that he would send y'all out into the harvest. Where's the harvest? The harvest is in the culture, the people, the culture, the different cultures that we need to engage. Going into the harvest means engaging the culture. It means going and connecting with folks, people that are different than you, people that they, they might do things you don't like. That you may disagree with some things. And you don't condone everything about their lives by helping them, by connecting with them, but you have compassion for them. Compassion instead of judgment. Instead of judgment because they've got tattoos all over them. Compassion instead of judgment because they've got piercing, because their color is different, because their accent is different, because uh, they're a different age. They're from up north or something like that. I was, I was reminded Justin Foster used to kid with me when we moved from uh, going to White House to going to Bullard. Justin Foster kidded with me, and he'd call me city boy because I came from White House. You know? <laughs> but I'm so glad he had compassion on the, the harassed and helpless. But uh, now let's look at another example where Jesus, we see him caring for those who were marginalized. Look at Mark chapter 11, verses 15 through 17. And Mark writes, And they came to Jerusalem, and he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold and who bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. And he was teaching them and saying to them, 
Is it not written, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations? But you have made it a den of robbers. So we understand him saying, you're not supposed to be conducting business when people are worshiping. But in Mark's account especially, he highlights something here that the other accounts... Uh, Matthew and Luke don't pick up on as easily or, or, or you know, enlighten us on. Mark was writing to Gentile Christians. And in this incident, we see Jesus is actually taking up for Gentile Christians. Gentile Christians were not allowed to go far into the temple to worship. There was an outer court, courtyard, and they could only go that far into the outer courtyard to worship God. And what had happened was the money changers, those who were buying and selling, who wanted to make some money, who were doing all that kind of commerce and business and wheeling and dealing, they were setting up in the outside courtyard where the Gentiles, the only places they were allowed to be. And Jesus was furious at that. He said, "You're, you're keeping people from worshiping God. You're driving out people, driving away people from worshiping God. He drove them out and he said, My house is to be called a house of prayer, not wheeling and dealing, not not doing your side gig. And you're driving away people who are here to worship God. See, they, they couldn't go anywhere else, and Jesus stood up for people who were marginalized. He said, this isn't right. Of course, he's saying, I'm the temple, and so he was signifying this change that it was no longer at this physical temple, but I and, and the, am the temple. And so uh, uh, Jesus drove them out and said, this is a place of worship for all nations. Now, if you notice there, he's quoting the Old Testament. He's quoting Isaiah 56, 7. Why is that significant? Because since the Old Testament, since God's covenant, I will make you a great nation, among, you know, nations among all the earth. Through you, I'll make you, you many, many nations. And so Jesus is saying, he's quoting from the Old Testament, saying this was always God's plan that God's people would be from among all nations. A house of prayer for all the nations. God's plan was always to bring all people to him. So Christians have to stand up for what's right and do something when they see others treated differently. We, we have, a, we have a, an obligation to stand up when we have the opportunity to do, when we see the need to stand up for those who are marginalized, who are pushed aside, who are held down. And Jesus showed us that Christians stand for what is right. Why? Because the gospel is for all people. And, 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 and from the Old Testament, from the beginning, God always said, my people will be a people from all nations. Now, the third one is we see that Jesus cared for others even when it caused him some trouble. Okay? Jesus cared for others when it even might bring some trouble on him. Look at Luke chapter 13, verses 10 through 17. 
Now he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And behold, there was a woman who had a disabling spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not fully straighten herself. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, Woman, you are freed from your disability. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight, and she glorified God. But the ruler of the synagogue, the religious person, right, the righteous one, the ruler of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, said to the people, There are six days in which, to, in which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be healed, and not on the Sabbath day. Then the Lord answered him, You hypocrites! Does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to water it? In other words, you're doing some work too. I healed somebody. You, you let your donkey get some water. And verse 16, And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? Like, which is more important? You're doing work anyway. And then look at verse number 17. As he said these things, all his ad adversaries were put to shame, and all the people rejoiced at all the glorious things that were done by him. Jesus didn't care if it brought trouble on him. He still had compassion on, on others and engaged others to help them, to bless them. And look, that lady glorified God. Jesus was more concerned with helping someone in need than he was in violating their rule, their custom. But what's interesting is, and what Jesus taught them in, in other places, is that Jesus was in fact himself the Lord of the Sabbath, the Gospels tell us. So they're over here arguing about it's the Sabbath day, and he says in other places, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. In other words, I, this, I am, the, I mean, like, I'm above this. And Jesus was God in the flesh, which means he was the one who wrote these rules anyway, these laws anyway. Jesus was the Lord, and he showed us what's important. No longer observing a written code in the Old Testament because he was signifying it was about him now and not the old law. That now it's about following him and worshiping him. And let me show you how to live out your faith in me by doing the things that I do, by following me, by being my disciple and learning from me. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all show us how Jesus was the Lord of the Sabbath. So being culturally engaged is about being involved in the lives of others. Our, our world around us and our community, regardless of the externals, because we have compassion on others in the way Jesus had compassion on others. But remember, we don't stop there because we know we have a great commission to go and make disciples of what? All nations, teaching them, baptizing them, right? So we have an obligation and a call not only to go do good, not only to have compassion instead of judging, but to teach them the right way, more accurately, as we see in Acts, to bring them to Christ, not repel them 
uh, away from Christ. See, you care for others because you're a follower of Jesus and he cared for others. It's not good and it's not right to live our lives in a bubble, inside a shell, inside our gated little world and stay there because it's safe and comfortable. That's not what we get to do as Christians. That doesn't mean you have to go live under a bridge for a week. And that doesn't mean you have to go jump on a plane tonight and and land somewhere else in some foreign country. Maybe that's what God is calling you to do. Maybe you ought to do that and proclaim the gospel and do His work there. But it does mean for sure that you need to look in the culture, the world around you that you live in, that you're connected to, and and you need to engage that world and those people and their differences. Why? For the sake of Christ. For the sake of bringing them to Christ. Because you're a follower of Jesus and you're trying to be just like Him. You're trying to help people around you be transformed by Christ just like He transformed you. You start by being a Christian. You start this transformation process by being a Christian, by putting on Christ in baptism, being united with Him, receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit and forgiveness of your sins, turning your life to Him to live for Him. That's where you start. But maybe you've already started and, and, and you hadn't been real serious about your life as a disciple of His and engaging the world around you. And if you're introverted, some, you know, that's just hard, isn't it? But there's nothing in the Bible about being introverted or extroverted. For some people, it's really easy. And some of us, we have to really make ourselves. Well, guess what? A lot of us, we need to make ourselves do it. We need to make ourselves try. We need to make ourselves try. Why? Because we are followers of Christ. And that's more important than how we feel and anything else. Any other barrier we might have, fear of rejection, whatever that might be, confidence whatever your issue might be. So I want to encourage you, start that journey of transformation by putting on Christ in baptism this morning if you're not a Christian. And if you are a Christian and you need to turn your, get your life back on track and be faithful to Him as a disciple, then we want to pray for you. Whatever your need is, we're here for you this morning. We invite you to come forward as we stand and sing.